Today is January 27th, 2021. A new strain of coronavirus is catching steam around the world. Democrats, once opposed to lockdowns, are now changing course. And McConnell concedes control in order to maintain the filibuster. Welcome back, Split the Difference friends and Split the Difference family. You know we got another great episode for you here today. I'd even be willing to say it's the best episode that we've done so far. And you're going to love all the great insights we got from the left, all the great insights we got from the right. And of course, we're going to split the middle and find that sweet, sweet truth that lives right there in the middle. So with all of that, i got a couple of big announcements to make, okay? Coming up next Monday, we have our 50th episode of the podcast. Woo! Everybody's cheering. Everybody's excited. Woo! I am pumped. So, in order to celebrate, we decided that we wanted to do a giveaway. That's right. We are doing a big giveaway. $50 Amazon gift card and your very own Split the Difference t-shirt as well. In order to win, you can find all of the details on our Instagram. You can only register for the, actually to participate in the giveaway through the Instagram. We had a post actually yesterday that gave all the details for it, how you can enter. The best way to be able to win, of course, if you share it to your story as well, you'll get an extra entry into it. So you got to go and enter. Who doesn't want a free $50 gift card? All you got to do is just share the podcast around a little bit. And everybody wants to share this podcast because we got all the best news and insights from both sides of the aisle. It's the best of both worlds here. So go and check out my Instagram if you want all the details on that. And of course, please enter to win. All this stuff helps the podcast out a ton. The more people that know about us, obviously, the more that we're able to grow and the more hopefully we can bring you more content like this that hopefully y'all enjoy. We also, within the next week or so, will be having our very first guest come on the podcast. I'm not going to release this person's name yet. I will wait until everything is finalized and done before actually rolling out who the person is, but... This person is an incredibly interesting person, and I think that y'all will greatly enjoy the conversation that we're going to have. So be tuned for more great stuff coming out here on Split the Difference podcast. And with all of that having been said, let's now hop into our first story of the day, story number one. So for our first story of the day, a new coronavirus strain coming out of the United Kingdom, is now sweeping across the world, and especially the United States, and it is causing a large amount of alarm with a whole lot of people. So uh, many are worried about it because they're saying that it's there seem to be early signs that it could be much more deadly and affect the youth much more as well, those youths. So as with anything, it is important, obviously, to not freak out until we have more information and more information is actually released on it. But what we can do is go ahead and hop in real quick. This is uh, reported on Good Morning America about a day or so ago. Let's hop in and take a look at this is a... a, a uh, an expert there out of Brown University talking about it. Breaking down the latest coronavirus headlines. Joining us this morning is Dr. Ashish Jha, the dean of the Brown University School of Public Health. Thank you so much for being with us. Let's start with this new variant of COVID-19 from the UK. Some British officials warning it could be up to 30% more deadly, but scientists are stressing more research is needed about that. Explain this to us. What does the science here actually tell us? Yeah, so good morning, and thank you for having me on. Yeah, in terms of the UK variant, it is clearly more contagious. I don't think there's any question about that. 
the question that has come up in the last few days is it actually also more deadly if you get infected with it? Uh, there is some preliminary evidence that it may be. Uh, alternatively, it could be that the variant hit the UK uh, when their hospitals were overwhelmed. And we know when hospitals get overwhelmed, mortality rates tend to rise. So we have to sort out, is it the virus? Is it the hospitals? Uh, so it, that still needs to be sorted out, but it's clearly still a deadly disease and clearly more contagious. Okay, so uh, that right there was a really fancy way of saying we have absolutely no idea, but you need to be scared, which is a pretty classic response in the media right now. So I think that a lot of people are having a lot of mixed emotions about news like this right now, okay? And we're going to actually talk through a little bit of this in our story number two as well, but... This isn't the first time that a new strain has been detected and has been found. And this is also not the first time that we've heard reports that the coronavirus would be absolutely killing the masses, right? With the amount of COVID fatigue is what they're calling it now. But basically, people are just really tired of quarantines. They're really tired of lockdowns. They're really tired of everybody with all the fear mongering and all the, all the talk about how this is absolutely just ravaging the country and everything. There, honestly, a lot of people are kind of looking at this and they're like, you know what? This is just another iteration of something that's totally inevitable, right? It's going to be sweeping across the country. People are going to get infected. This is just what's going to happen. I'm going to try my best to stay safe, but I'm tired of completely discontinuing the entirety of my life uh, based upon this disease that total, so far has not lived up to what a lot of the media has pushed so far. So this gets into a little bit of, I also think the media have really shot themselves in the foot right now, okay? If we remember way on back a year ago when the pandemic started, there were reports all over the news, just, I mean, ripping through the United States that COVID was basically the next Spanish flu or the next black plague, like the next bubonic plague, okay? There were reports very early on uh, that I read that were all over CNN, MSNBC, all the major news networks that alluded to it having a mortality rate of well over 10%, right? That's a very, very high mortality rate. They were saying that it it was much more infectious than the flu, that it would be killing, I mean, hundreds of times more people than the flu does every single year, and basically meaning that in little to no time, there would be millions of people dead, okay? And, I mean, early, early on in, like, January and February of 2020, these were the reports that everyone was hearing. If we don't lock the entire country down, if we don't stop and discontinue everything that we're doing, by the end of 2020, there will be literally millions and millions of people that are dead. These were the reports that were coming out. As many of you remember, this caused, of course, the entire world to come to a screeching halt. Like, I mean, everybody saw the videos of people like literally locked in to their uh, apartments in China. In Italy, they were singing to each other out of the windows in their apartments. They were not allowed to go anywhere, weren't allowed to see anybody. The entire world just stopped, right? Weren't allowed to leave your house. We weren't even allowed to go to parks, right? Weren't even allowed to go outside. It was, you have to stay in your house. That is it, okay? Uh, and the media claimed that without the complete and the total lockdowns, millions of people would be dead within just a matter of months. However, here we are a year later, and the response to it, of course, has been absolutely abysmal. And when I say abysmal, I mean truly awful. I am under the impression from what I have seen that has been carried out throughout the entirety of the course of 2020, the Trump administration could not have dropped the ball any worse than they did, right? I mean, 
When you look back on all the stuff that Donald Trump and his administration did, not only did they make it seem like the virus was literally nothing at all, multiple times people calling it a hoax, multiple times, uh, you know, Donald Trump after having COVID taking his mask off on the in the front of the White House, like him, of course, getting COVID-19. But, I mean, states were competing with one another for PPE. States were competing with one another for masks. Like, there was a gigantic mask shortage. There was a gigantic toilet paper shortage. Like, literally nothing went right that needed to go right. And everything that the Trump administration needed to do to make sure that things were going to be carried out properly, they didn't do. Outside of closing down travel from China very early on which is like, good, I'm glad that Donald Trump did that. That was something that needed to be done. That was just about it. After that, Donald Trump was like, no, no, it's not real. We don't need to worry about it at all. So from the shutdowns that happened to the very poor information to the denying of it being a problem at all, and now, of course, the vaccine rollout, which is just, I mean, absolutely horrendous, right? I mean, there are not even close to enough vaccinations being rolled out in the United States that actually need to be rolled out. But with all of that happening, there still are not millions upon millions of people that are dead. Now, please hear me when I say 400,000 deaths is absolutely terrible, right? The coronavirus is still killing people. It is still infecting people. And it is still a de- something that we need to be tackling and confronting head on as a country. And our leadership needs to be stepping in, doing everything they can to slow it down and to bring it to a stop. Absolutely. Okay. But the media seem to be doing this like two part line dance, right? Where they're like on one hand saying that the government handled the Trump administration handled the pandemic incredibly poorly and that it was absolutely awful. While at the same time saying that it's the worst pandemic and the worst sickness that could have possibly been made in over 100 years and that it's going to kill everybody. Right. You can't have both. Okay, you either say, all right, um, Donald Trump really dropped the ball, right? But fortunately, the mortality rate isn't nearly as high as we thought that it would be, right? Or you have to, you, there has to be a give somewhere, right? Do you see what I'm saying? So I think what's really, really interesting to me is now this, this new variant that's coming out could be incredibly more contagious, right? It could be incredibly more deadly, okay? But people aren't going to believe it. There is zero trust in the American media conglomerate right now. Everybody that is watching this is like, well, we've seen all this being said before, right? We remember just a year ago when they were saying that this you know, coronavirus is going to be coming out and just killing millions upon millions of people. And so far it hasn't happened. And it didn't, they're also saying that the, you know, all the controls and everything around it were terrible. So it, you know, obviously it was going to blow up as fast as it possibly could with the way the Trump administration handled it. Why aren't there millions upon millions of people dead? Do I believe what the media is saying right now when they're saying that it's much more deadly? So I'm, I'm feeling like a lot of the reports, a lot of the opinions and stuff that I'm coming out that are coming out are kind of showing this like weird two part dichotomy to the media where it's like you can't have both. OK, you either hate the Trump administration and kind of admit that. All right. Well, it's not nearly as deadly as we thought it was, but you can't you can't have both. So. With all of that, let's now hop into our second story of the day because it ties into this pretty, pretty closely. So without that, story number two. 
So for our second story of the day, the Democrats, a lot of Democrats and the media start to change course on lockdowns and the coronavirus. This is uh, something that many of you uh, may have been following, maybe not. I don't know. It hasn't been reported a ton. Um, so I have spent the majority of my time over the past like probably month really crapping on Trump in the right side of the aisle, right? I mean, and justifiably so. A lot of the stuff that's been happening on the right side of the aisle has just been like, like, I, I, what are they doing, right? Just craziness going on over there. I mean, it's been a lot of layups. But um, now it's kind of time, I think, to start looking at a little bit of the hypocrisy that's happening right now on the left, because there's plenty on both sides of the aisle. So um, every bit of this that I'm about to say may be completely coincidental, okay? Could be. But I am not very inclined to think so. So Biden has been in office for a full week now. And everyone is really starting to settle into the new normal, okay, w whatever that new normal means. Here are just a couple of things that have happened over the past week, specifically surrounding COVID-19, okay? So, an hour after Joe Biden's inauguration, the World Health Organization came out and changed the requirements, or basically the, not necessarily the requirements, but the standards for counting a COVID test as positive, okay? Basically, what it says is, there sh is that there should be a lower cycle threshold for the amount of viral load in a person's body in order to count them as a positive, okay? The CT, or the, you know, the cycle threshold, is inversely proportional to the patient's viral load, meaning... That the higher the required cycle threshold is in a test, the less likely the patient is to have COVID and actually be contagious. So the World Health Organization very, very quietly announced that they should now lower the threshold that would be required in order for someone to be actually, you know, deemed as positive for coronavirus. And when I say quietly... I mean that I could find zero videos of it on YouTube, couldn't find any major news network that reported on this. I literally had to go digging into the World Health Organization's website, and the only reason why I heard about it was because I saw some random person post about it online, and they were kind of like, well, this seems a little weird, right? So basically what this means is that this is going to result in a pretty sizable reduction in the amount of positive tests that are officially reported, okay, through the CDC, through the World Health Organization, all of the different organizations of the world, there are going to be a very, very small, a very, very large increase in the number of negative tests that come out around the coronavirus because now the threshold is different for what they would have considered a positive coronavirus test, only an hour after Biden's inauguration. And California, Governor Newsom, Gavin, good old Gavin Newsom, what a guy, um, on Monday uh, lifted a statewide stay-at-home order allowing for restaurants and bars to open back up with outdoor dining. Right now, L.A. is the biggest hotspot for coronavirus in the entire country. Um, in Michigan, Governor Gretchen Whitmer, who was incredibly critical of Donald Trump and his uh, all of the stuff that he wanted to do with the coronavirus, announced that bars and restaurants would be permitted to open back up at 25% capacity. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, that, that genius of Andrew Cuomo, tweeted this just before got, Biden got into office. Quote, we simply cannot stay closed until the vaccine hits critical mass. The cost is too high. We'll have nothing left to open. We must reopen the economy, but we must do it smartly and safely. 
This is the guy that literally like a month ago was saying that lockdowns were the only way to control the pandemic. They are currently predicting in New York City that roughly over 50% of the restaurants and bars in NYC will be closed because of lockdowns. In Chicago, Mayor Lori Lightfoot started pushing for the reopenings of businesses on Saturday, basically tweeted out this thing saying that uh, opening res- restaurants are now allowed to be open at a 25% capacity and gyms are now open, limited to only 15 people. Both Washington, D.C. and Baltimore, all ran by Democratic mayors, uh, are also opening back up as well. On top of that, CNN actually removed the COVID death toll counter from a good portion of their broadcasts. Used to be on 24-7. Doesn't matter what you were watching on CNN. They had this big chevron on the side of the screen that basically had every single, um, every single person that had been infected with COVID-19 and the death counter as well. So... I've been joking for a very long time, saying that as soon as Biden gets in office, coronavirus is just suddenly going to disappear. That's basically been a Republican trope, kind of funny joke back and forth for a while, and I think it's pretty hilarious too. And I, of course, I'm saying that sarcastically, just implying that the media coverage of it will significantly slow down. And that has actually been the case, okay? All these governors that I mentioned, every single person that I mentioned just now, are all Democrats and all very left-leaning. And all of them gave a ton of junk to Trump because of how he was handling the coronavirus and the fact that he was saying that lockdowns are not the way to go. Now, within the past week of Joe Biden getting into office, every single one of them are like, you know what, let's open things back up. We're going to be okay now. You know, the vaccine's going to be coming out soon. Let's go ahead and get some shutdowns and lockdowns are not the way to go. We can handle this thing if we do it together and wash our hands. It's like, what is going on? So what we're seeing is a very, very commonplace political football that's basically just being played, kicking everything back and forth. What is done on the other side is always bad. It doesn't matter what it is. And then if you start doing it on your side, it's okay because it's on your side of the aisle. I would not be surprised at all if in two months we see a ton of the media and the Democrats coming out and saying that Biden is defeating COVID and that things are going back to normal, everything's good to go, even though cases will likely still be in the hundreds of thousands every single day, and all the Republicans will be the ones coming out and saying that it's worse than it's ever been and that the media is lying and that coronavirus is terrible and is tearing our country apart. This is just literally no one trusts the institutions in America anymore, and Obviously, this is why, right? It's just, I mean, just standard operating procedure at this point in time where it's like, it doesn't matter what happens. The other side of the aisle is always wrong. We can do the exact same thing that the other side of the aisle wants, and that makes it right now. Just classic. Absolutely ridiculous. So with all of that having been said, that is the end of our second story of the day. Let's hop on in to our third story, story number three. So for our third story of the day, we've got McConnell in the filibuster. So, behind the scenes in the Senate right now, there's a huge fight going on, okay? Whenever there's a 50-50 tie in the Senate, they have to hash out and vote on an agreement as to how things will be kind of playing out going forward, okay? They've got to figure out how to break up the different committees, who's going to be in control of those committees, what those committees are going to look like, get the right people that they want into those, all those different, you know, legislative boards and whatnot, And oftentimes they really have to, the big thing is just divvying up the power across the Senate. And until that happens, the the party that was formerly in charge are basically going to be running the show a little bit. So 
Um, Democrats, of course, want to move forward on getting that agreement done so that they can assume the majority power within the Senate because right now they technically have the majority, right? With Kamala Harris being the 51st vote. So, however, Mitch McConnell wasn't letting and didn't want to let anything go forward until they had an agreement that the filibuster would not be on the chopping block, okay? Although this just sounds like a whole bunch of congressional mumbo-jumbo, all right, it's actually an incredibly important rule and an incredibly important time right now within our Senate. So I think that we need to take a little bit of time kind of look at what's happening, look at what both sides of the aisle are thinking about all of this, and then kind of explain what a filibuster is, because you may have seen it in the news, or you may not be sure what exactly it is. So we're going to talk through that, and we're going to talk about like why this is such an inc- important and crucial part, really in our country's history right now, um, and see you know what all it mean, it'll mean going forward. So What is a filibuster? So the filibuster is a rule that allows for an unlimited amount of time for people to, quote, debate or give their reasoning about why a bill should not be passed while the bill is on the floor for a vote. So in order to end a debate, okay, because it technically could go on forever, in order to end a debate, there has to be a vote casted to provide cloture, okay? Originally, Unlimited debate was allowed in the House of Representatives and in the Senate, but as the House of Representatives started to grow, they decided to get rid of the rule because there were just simply way too many people in there, and the idea was basically with 435 people within the House of Representatives, it could, something could get fil- everything could get filibustered forever. So uh, they got rid of that. Things are passed, basically, you know, things get debated and they get voted on in the House. So uh, in the Senate, however, you're allowed to continue to filibuster. In 1917, the Senate passed a rule in order to be able to end filibusters by people, basically through the cloture rule, okay? So cloture in 1917, it was required that a two-thirds majority could vote in order to end debate on a bill. So that basically meant 66 voters, 67 voters would have to be able to vote, and they could say, you know what, the debate is over, we're going to go ahead and continue on, and we're going to vote on this bill. So then in 1975, they lowered that bar down to three-fifths or 60 votes in order to get closure and end a debate or end a filibuster. So the filibuster has a very, very long history as a device used by the minority in the Senate to be able to block legislation that they don't like. Most recently, Mitch McConnell used it a ton to block a ton of stuff that Barack Obama wanted to use. The Republicans, I mean, the the Democrats also used it as well in 2016 through 2021. Trump was in office and they had the minority in the Senate as well. You know, that's just what happens. Uh, I think probably the most notable time in our history where filibusters were used all the time was really in the mid to late 50s through the 60s when a lot of civil rights legislation was being passed. So, um the longest filibuster in history actually took place in this time period. It was in 1957 by Democratic Senator Strom Thurmond from good old, guess where? South Carolina. That's right. He stood up and talked for 24 hours and 18 minutes straight in order to block the Civil Rights Act of 1957. Okay? Over 24 hours that man stood up and talked. So, as many of you have probably heard... A lot of times they're not actually presenting any arguments. They can literally just get up at the front of the Senate floor and read a phone book and they can just keep going and keep going. 
this is used to kind of hold the debate hostage for a little while so that a vote can't be taken on the bill. So the idea is you could essentially have 50 Republicans get up, present their arguments as to why a bill wouldn't, you know, shouldn't be passed and essentially keep going on forever. And the bill, of course, never actually gets to be voted on. Now, Normally, if something gets filibustered for a really long time, the majority leader will just pull the vote from the floor and either rework it or just not vote on it altogether. So although it sounds really dumb and you may be sitting there like, why in the world would we allow for that to happen? It's actually a very, very strong tool that can be used by the minority in Senate to be able to block and, you know, basically stop legislation that would not be beneficial for their constituents, okay? Without it, just a simple majority in the Senate would be able to pass any and all legislation that they'd want. So all you'd need is 51 votes, and the idea would basically be, right now, for example, the Democrats and the Republicans are blocked at a 50-50 tie in the Senate. You have a Democratic vice president who would come in and break that tie. So essentially, if everything is incredibly partisan, the Democrats could start passing extremely progressive stuff, and the Republicans would be completely helpless to be able to stop it because of that one vote that would break the tie, okay? With the filibuster, it allows the minority to, minority within the Senate to be able to stop a lot of that because it wouldn't be beneficial for a large portion of the country. So um, I, a little bit of talk about, we've, we now got to have a video, of course, of that sweet, sultry, southern draw of Mitch McConnell standing up on the Senate floor talking a little bit about this earlier this week. Hold on, let's listen into him now. Every single time that I play Mitch McConnell, I always get all these messages from these people that are like, man, you got to play some more Mitch McConnell in there. That sweet, buttery, you know, Kentucky voice. Golly, just a just a regular old, regular old I mean, Southern gem right there, Mitch McConnell. So let's listen to what he had to say about it on the Senate floor. While business proceeds on the floor, the Democratic leader and I are continuing to flesh out the structure of this 50-50 Senate. When leaders Lott and Daschle wrote a similar agreement 20 years ago, <clears throat> there wasn't a need at all to reaffirm the basic standing rules that govern legislation here in the Senate. It was safely assumed that no majority would break this rule for short-term gain. Floor remarks surrounding those 2001 discussions specifically cite the legislative filibuster as an important and unquestioned part of the backdrop that lay beneath the negotiations on the finer details. It was assumed no one would ever take that step. After the fact, Leader Daschle, the Democrat, praised the legislative filibuster as a crucial rule. President Biden has praised this distinctive feature of the Senate on many occasions. All right. So there's the towering intellect and genius of Mitch McConnell basically presenting his argument talking a little bit about uh, the history of the filibuster over the past 20 years or so and how all of a sudden it is starting to come into question because the Democrats want to be able to ram through a lot of their legislative stuff that they've promised the American people or their constituents, okay? So, although I don't agree with Mitch McConnell often, I have to agree with him 100% here. 
I think that getting rid of the filibuster is just the next step in the road for causing a way, way larger amount of political turmoil in this country, okay? The filibuster is there very specifically for the minority party in Congress, in the Senate specifically, okay? You do not want to have a simple majority to be able to rule the country in whatever way that they would see fit. This is why you have stuff like the Electoral College, right? It is not there. It is The Electoral College was put there very, very specifically by the founders because they didn't want people within you know cities or people within specific parts of America to be able to rule and govern the, the, you know, the entirety of the population on the other side of the country that have completely completely different values than they have, right? You do not want a simple majority to crush a simple minority. That's just not what makes for good government. That's not what makes for happy constituents and happy citizens. It would cause a lot more political turmoil should the filibuster actually be removed. And as Mitch McConnell talked a little bit about and in some of the statements and stuff that he's given around this, the Democrats will love getting rid of the filibuster right now. However, The Democrats will not be in control forever. They won't. If history tells us anything, the Democrats will likely lose control of the Senate and the House of Representatives in the midterms in 2022. That is normally what happens, okay? So um, as soon as they get rid of that filibuster, the Republicans are going to be coming in with a vengeance. I mean, rolling back everything that they've done for the previous two years, rolling back everything that they have done uh, for I mean, everything that they don't, you know, that the Democrats want to get done. And the Republicans will be slamming through all of the legislation that they want. Um, and there will be nothing that Democrats would be able to do to stop it. OK, so there have to be some some types of guardrail, something set up so that there can't be just a rule by a simple majority. Although it would be is one vote that would be deciding the entirety of what gets pushed through. Okay, and that's that's a little bit scary. You don't want for one party to have that much control just because of a very simple majority. So um, I think that Mitch McConnell is totally right on this. The last thing that we need to do right now in a time when our country is feeling really fractured and divisive, divided and kind of broken is to start rewriting a lot of the norms that have been set in place for literally hundreds of years, right? We don't need to pack the Supreme Court. We don't need to be adding on extra states. We don't need to be getting rid of the filibuster. What we need to be doing is just getting in there and getting stuff done, Right. Go in and actually convince the other side that your argument is correct. Have a lively debate and get stuff pushed through, okay? If you want to get your stuff passed, then make it passable. Very simple. Come to a compromise. So with all of that, that is the end of our third story of the day. Let's hop on in to our actually only the second time that we've done this segment, okay? And replacing Made Me Smile today, our new segment, bro, what? So this has got to be, I think, my favorite new segment ever. But um, for my bro what moment of this week, it comes from a video of good old Chuck Schumer that occurred uh, a little bit uh, earlier last week. So let's go ahead and hop in and take a listen to this now. The Senate will conduct a trial of the impeachment of Donald Trump. It will be a full trial. It will be a fair trial. But make no mistake... There will be a trial, and when that trial ends, senators will have to decide if they believe Donald John, Donald John Trump incited the erection, insurrection. 
every time that I see that. Chuck Schumer is literally a walking meme. I mean, like everything that he done, it does is just an absolute meme. So uh, that's Chuck Schumer getting up there, having a pretty terrible word slip. (laughs) And I don't know why, that just cracked me up. Classic Chuck Schumer. So anyways, that is our little bit of funny tidbit that happened earlier this week. Some funny and hilarious stuff that happened in politics. That is the end of our show for the day. Remember, enter into the giveaway. Find me on Instagram. You know, like, give me a, drop me a like, post me around to all your favorite friends and families, get the show out there, and you will be entered for a $50 Amazon gift card and a free Split the Difference t-shirt. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be great. It's going to be tremendous. It's going to be the best giveaway that you've ever seen. Also, look me up on YouTube. I'm on Facebook. Check out my website at splitthedifference.com, one T. Drop me all the likes and the subscribes. Give me all the five-star reviews that you can give me. All that stuff goes an extremely long way for helping me out. As always, y'all, thank you for stopping in. Remember, we're going to do our best to be level-headed. We're always going to be reasonable. And, of course, we're going to split the difference. This is Austin Taylor.